Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Time for our International News Review with Steve Oken, Senior Advisor at McClarty Associates. Steve, good morning. Good morning, GVZ. Good morning, NJH. (laughs) (laughs) We are getting to you just a little bit later than usual, so apologies for that and to our friends who are uh, hoping to tune in right at uh, 930 with you. But we had lots to talk about. Let's talk first about ASEAN and Myanmar. Um, There is a visit that is supposedly going to uh, make everything all better again between those two. What do we know about what's going on with this? Well, look, it's been five weeks since ASEAN came out with their five-point consensus on Myanmar, and they are zero for five uh, in implementing any of those points. Uh, look, it'd be great if, if they can get somebody uh, into Myanmar, but it hasn't happened yet. Let's see if, if, if the, the ASEAN Secretary General can get in, but this is not the special envoy that was envisioned in those four, is one of those five points. So a lot of skepticism and doubt as we see Myanmar's spiral into further, uh, you know, chaos. And on that point, Steve, you know, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations plan. Now, the chair and the secretary general, yes, they're going to travel to Myanmar this week. Now, I read this and I think, but what's, where's the teeth? How much political teeth does this organization actually have? How much power does it have? In other words, what can it actually do that's going to have any effect whatsoever on the UNTA? Look, it can't do anything until you get the 10 members all agreeing upon something. And you've got very divergent views from Indonesia on the one side, which seemingly wants to be much more proactive. And then Thailand on the other side, which, of course, the Thai government came from its own military coup. Um, and so they have a different approach that they want to take. And that's why we've, we've gotten nothing done. And you see what happens. You know, the schools in Myanmar were supposed to open on June 1st. And, you know, by all accounts, more than 90% of the students didn't show up. And so you've got a year now with kids not getting education. You've got assassinations and and targeted killings on the rise. You've got COVID becoming a much more uh, health crisis that the, the country is facing. And so ASEAN dithers, and and it's going to get worse for ASEAN unless they can come together and do something. Steve, we saw in one of the media reports I saw, in fact, the only one I could find that actually talked about that meeting was from Nikkei Asia. Mm -hmm. And they say that the the senior general in charge of Myanmar's military met Friday afternoon with Brunei's second minister for foreign affairs. And the uh, secretary general of of ASEAN, and and apparently they met for about an hour, according to this report, and they talked about how they would implement the results of that summit that you mentioned earlier on in the five points. Uh, Now, there are no, there was no follow-up as to what what exactly they discussed or what was, uh, you know, what came of that. Uh, So back to your point and, and to Neil's point as well, there's no, there was no teeth in that initial agreement and we're seeing, we're not seeing any at least overt uh, news in the media that anything is really going to happen at this moment. And, and you know, the, the, those five points, one, end violence. Right. Well, it's only gotten worse in the last five weeks. You know, two, the envoy is supposed to meet with all parties concerned. Didn't do that either, right? Didn't meet with the, the national unity government. And so we are, we are no further ahead than we were 
when this consensus was reached or this alleged consensus was reached. And it's it's ASEAN has to it's in the ASEAN's interest to come together to to get more stability and to get all parties involved in Myanmar. And they're not doing it. And speaking of interests, what are you seeing, if anything, you know, in your daily work, uh, McClarty Associates, Singapore's role, if any? What is Singapore's role in this? Has it changed or is it pretty much just follow the status quo? Well, I mean, I guess you would, if you if you look at you have kind of Indonesia on one side publicly, and then you have Thailand on the other side publicly. Singapore seems to be more into the Indonesia camp for sure. But at the same time, there was that you know there was a, a, a call for a blockage of arms sales uh, to ASEAN in the UN, and that was voted down. Um, I mean, that was voted down by all of the members of, of, of ASEAN, including Singapore. So uh, unclear what's going on behind the scenes. Certainly some work seems to be getting done, but it's not getting done fast enough. All right. In the meantime, the, um, the head of the Red Cross, uh, International Committee for the Red Cross, met on Thursday in Myanmar um, as part of that, uh, that emissary's visit. And they want to resume visits to the prisons where some thousands of people are being held. And, uh, quote, unquote, his, those resumption of visits were not refused, unquote, by the Myanmar junta. But they certainly didn't give any details on when they would be started again either. So uh, yet another story we're, we're tracking because so many people are, we know, are languishing, being beaten, raped, everything else in these prisons for doing nothing more than just standing out on the street and protesting. Uh, so we'll get to more on that. Um, we do have to move on to our next uh, story, which is the Wuhan lab and its investigation. Now, Anthony Fauci just came out uh, in the last uh, hours and, and said that China needs to be transparent about those lab technicians and, and their medical histories. Um, Biden, of course, is calling for a um, uh, an investigation. Where did this all start? And this week, President Xi made some comments that were also kind of curious as well, possibly relating to this. What, this is a very complex story, isn't it, Steve? It is, and it, 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 you have to go back into the history of, of what happened. And when, you know, COVID uh, originated in, in China, when it originated in Wuhan, there was a huge question, you know, what's the origin of the virus? Because when you know, only when you know the origin one, can you address it? And two, can you make sure it doesn't happen again if this were either, you know, from, you know, from the animal kingdom or, or from, from a lab? And it was always in China's interest to try and push the story that this was something out of nature, that this wasn't anything that the Chinese government would have caused. But what we have found out is that the Trump administration also didn't want that story to come out originally because it turns out that there was roughly somewhere between six hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars over a matter of five years that went from the US government to the Wuhan lab to assist in terms of these studies. So you had the Trump administration blocking any investigation by the US intelligence community and the State Department about where did the virus come from? You had China blocking access as well. And so now all of a sudden it's really starting to come out that both sides did not do a good job and that we really as a international community need to know where this virus came from and we're not getting any any cooperation yet what i find fascinating about uh, this the story steve is that maybe there's a little bit of political mileage for joe biden here because i'm thinking what is the interest here for biden to kind of follow up on a story that 
was begun by the Trump administration and wildly, you know, widely uh, denounced at the time. Is there an element that this is one of the few stories where he may get bipartisan support, mm. Republicans and Democrats? This is an easy win for Joe Biden. He needs to show that vaccinations is all on him and anything negative is not from him, simplistically. It's from China or wherever. So this could be a rare bipartisan win for Joe Biden, couldn't it? Well, anything with China is a bipartisan win right now in, in the United States. I mean, and this is one where the, the, what, the science and the politics match up because yeah. you, you, don't, you do need to know if this came from a lab You've got to make sure it doesn't happen again. And there are labs across the world, not many, but not just China, the United States and others as well, that does this type of, of research. So you need to make sure that this type of, of leak, and everyone presumes it would be an unintentional leak, of course, that it w- wouldn't happen again. What protocols do you need in place? What type of research should get done? And it could also help you figure out how to you know, ad- attack the, this pandemic. So the science and the politics line up in the United States, but just because the politics line up doesn't mean that, that this is something that shouldn't be followed up. Absolutely. Steve, the, um, the, I, the implementation of any kind of investigation that happens, uh, the WHO's investigation was not widely praised and accepted, let's put it that way. A lot of people thought that there were problems with how they investigated at the time. Uh, Do we have any insight into what this investigation might look like and who would, in fact, be behind it and if the Chinese government will allow it? Well, that's the the last question. It's the key question. Will the Chinese government allow it? Will the Chinese government allow access to the lab? I mean, you know, stories have come out that workers who were working um, on, you know, this, the virus, on the, 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 the potential transmission in the chain, the, got sick in 2019, um, you know, early in 2019, before the virus was, was, was known, and that that could have been the start. Um, but, you know, that's not something the Chinese want open. The Chinese have said, well, if you want access to the, you know, Wuhan, you have to give us access to Fort Detrick in the United States. You have to give us access to all of your you know, mm. classified and secure facilities. <laughs> and so it's pretty clear that, that this investigation must have Chinese cooperation. I can't imagine it coming. And so we'll never really know the answer uh, of did it come from a lab or did it come from nature? And the U.S. government is split right now as to what's the more likely scenario. I think of the three different communities in the intelligence community looking at this, two believe it's from nature, one believe it's, it's a lab leak. Fascinating. I just find it fascinating, guys, that of all the outlandish conspiracy theories that the former president had, (laughs) this is one that might have a little bit of scientific credibility, but it has a real cry wolf element to this, Steve, for me, that it was just blown out of the water with all of the other outlandish theories Mm. that he said, when there may have been a, you know, a kernel of truth in it, Steve. Well, and, you know, I've said that, you know, during the Trump presidency all along, he said, just because Donald Trump says something doesn't make it wrong. It could be wrong. Yeah, of course. Maybe probably wrong, but it's not always wrong. Look, he was right, and he called it early on the dislocation of workers uh, in the United States and, and, and the impact of, of globalization um, on those workers. And he, he communicated to them better than anybody. And so now you see the Biden administration coming up with a worker-centric trade policy. I mean, that's something that Donald Trump recognized more than four years ago. So just because Trump says something doesn't make it wrong. And 
what the irony here is, though, is that he had people that he appointed in the State Department saying, don't investigate because it's going to make us look bad because the U.S. government had money going there. And that's what, you know, Dr. Fauci said today. Well, that's ludicrous. Why should we just because we gave money doesn't mean we don't want to know the truth. Sure. And so the Trump administration, Neil, was on both sides of this one. Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Let me exhale on that one for a minute and (laughs) let's move on. Uh, Potentially good news, I guess, between ASEAN and the European Union. They've announced that they're going to – airlines from both uh, areas will be allowed to fly any number of services between the two regions. As we know, 550 million people in the EU, 600 million people in ASEAN. Uh, As and when some sort of normal flights resume, this could be a, a good thing. Now, Steve, you've had a lot of experience. You were in the Department of, uh, of uh, Transportation back, uh, back in the Clinton administration. You, you've, you've worked on some of these types of deals. What do we know about this one? Okay, well, it is, it's good news because anytime you can get ASEAN agreeing on something <laughs> as a block is good news. Okay, now, these talks started, the, the idea for these talks started in 2014. Okay, so let's hope the Myanmar talks don't take seven years to get to to an agreement. And the reason these took so long was because Malaysia was holding out at the end. But but basically, this is not what it, it this is not. It's not an open skies agreement, because if this were an open skies agreement between the EU and ASEAN, it would mean that any ASEAN flag carrier like Singapore Airlines could fly from Bangkok to London, mm. Paris, Frankfurt, mm. wherever it wanted, picking up local passengers in Taiwan, taking them on. It's not that. So this is not an open skies agreement. Which individual they countries don't it, want because they don't want their flagged carriers yep. missing out on the on the seats, right? That's the Exactly. That's they the don't. They, well, they, they're, they're, like, they're, they're afraid of the stronger airlines yep. like SQ coming in and taking out. So it's not an open skies agreement. They call it a comprehensive air transport agreement. So it's a step below what would be an open skies agreement. And why it was in ASEAN's interest and the EU's interest to get the sign was because they were losing traffic over the Middle East and Turkey, right? You had Qatar and you had Turkish airlines taking what we call fifth freedom traffic. So they'd pick up traffic in Singapore, fly it over Turkey, you know, and then go on into Europe. And so they want to take out that fifth freedom traffic out of out of third countries and keep it within the EU and ASEAN. So it, it should help with some connectivity. It's a it's a positive step. I wouldn't get carried away yet. But if this can lead to an open skies agreement, which is going to be years and years down the road, it will help. Um, I don't see this addressing the, the transport needs coming out of the pandemic. We've got mm. a lot of other issues to, to, to worry about. Yeah, you can see why they've done it. They're trying to make some claw some money back once the pandemic eases. Putting on my environmental hat on for a second, we've all kind of got used to the Zoom situation now. And I do wonder, coming out of the pandemic, you know, those business meetings previously that had to be flown from London to Bangkok to mm. Thailand uh, to KL to Singapore can now be done on Zoom for the most part. Will that play a part with this agreement in the sense that it may not have such a positive impact because our meeting logistics, if you like, have changed forever? Well, that's a completely, you know, aside from this agreement, because, Neil, that's the question. People are now starting to not only say, you know, we've got to eliminate coal, right, from, for, for, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But people are saying, what can they do themselves to reduce their own carbon footprint? What can businesses do themselves to reduce their own carbon footprint? And the biggest impact, I think, by far is reducing your air travel. 
Mm. And that is going to, if you want to have your own impact on the environment, it's, it's reduction of air travel for most people. That is going to do it. And so is that really something the airlines are going to have to be taking into account? Is this really going to impact business travel, which is where they make the bulk of their yep. profits? Probably so. And this agreement is, 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 you know, a drop in the bucket compared to what that will be. Exactly. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating as always. So many, so much going on there. There's so many other stories we'd like to talk about this week, but uh, we just don't have time, unfortunately. Much appreciate your time uh, yet again today on International News Review. My pleasure. Hopefully I wasn't too much of a numbskull. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. <laughs> International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.